welcome to episode 12 of Ask Alex on the OneOuter.com podcast with me, Barry Chalmers, and Alex the Assassinato Fitzgerald. Hi, Alex. Hey, how you doing? Did you just mess up your name? Did I? I, I think you said... You're, it's Chambers, right? No, it's Chalmers. Chal- oh, no, okay. Oh. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, never mind, never mind. I mean, I, I am tired, but I do. I think I got <laughs> I think I got my name I right. A, I, I, had a, I had a buddy mess up his name when he was introducing himself to a girl, which was like the funniest thing I'd ever seen. But he's a, he'll, be, he'll be the subject of a story time later. But anyway, let's get into this. Sorry, already digressing. My bad, my bad. Yeah, cool. Well, it's, you know, poker players, we, we, you get that used to telling lies. It's like you just, you know, oh, yeah. I think it was Phil, Phil Lack did an article like, when you're playing poker, someone says, uh, you know, you want to get something to eat. And he went, no, I've already eaten. And he hadn't. And he didn't know why he was lying like that. That's really you know, true. But he was just saying, <laughs> his mind and brain was just on, like, deception, even when it came to something like that. That's so weird. No, it, that's so, it was really weird. I know your last name's Chalmers, but for some reason in my head, it changed to Chambers for some <laughs> sake. Like, but anyway... Yeah, no, it's it's weird because like I used to feel like I was lying in everything I did with poker, but now I feel like I I don't know, like when I'm bluffing, I'm more calm than when I have a hand because when I bluff, it's you know, it's just an investment. It's just like you with your antiques, you know what I mean? You're buying it for three quid and you're selling it for 40 quid. This is the first time in my life I've said the word quid, but like <laughs> You know what I mean? It's just like, you know there's a return on investment, and even if, like, magically the thing doesn't sell, it was a good investment. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, it, I don't know. It's weird It's weird how that changes. But anyway, getting back into it, already yeah. already off. Yeah, no, no, I think I think that's interesting what you say is, like, people are more calm. I think because they know that all they have to sort of deal with is they know that they're bluffing. So if they get caught, you know, they don't have it. It's like almost nothing to lose if, if you know yeah. what I mean. They don't have a hand to hide. Whereas when they've got an actual hand, they're over time thinking, how do I hide this? And it's harder, I suppose, to, you know, deceive that you have something than rather pretend that you don't have something or some. It must be something, you know, in that, the sort of fucking oh, biochemistry yeah. of it. Oh, yeah. And they, I think another part of the nervousness is when you bust out of tournaments, it's usually with a good hand. You, there's not many people with the chutzpah to triple barrel off their tournament. You know, yeah. I mean, I really respect a guy who can do it. Uh, and uh, but usually when you go broke, it's with a pretty good hand. So something I worked on for a while with myself was just if I have an inkling, my hand is like I, I, if I feel like this hand isn't good anymore, I make myself mock w- before psyching myself out. And there was one time when I was going deep in this 5K, I like folded with like 70 percent of my chips in the pot with like top set because i was just convinced this guy or no top trips not uh uh not a set uh and uh the board came queen 10 queen and i had ace queen i mocked on the river with uh 70 percent of my chips in the pot but i was just so positive this guy queen 10 or 10s and you know and a part of me was like what the hell were you thinking but then you know i final tabled the tournament with the chip lead and it was you know i'm i'm still convinced to this day i would have gone bust if I call, yeah. but you know, if you think about it, you psych yourself out, you, you know, you let it go. And it, a part of poker that's really hard is doing stuff that's super unpopular, even with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Counterintuitive stuff. It just seems, you know, throws people off into that sort of rabbit in the headlights thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. 
So um, thanks to a lot of you that joined the group. Uh, I put out a little request to join the Facebook group and a ton of you started adding friends and stuff, which I said, you know, keep it to people that like poker so that with their timeline on Facebook's not just getting flooded with stuff about podcasts that they don't want to hear and stuff. And a lot of people have joined and uh, not there's not been a mass exodus of people that have been added. So <laughs> that, that's good. So if you want to join that, it's uh, facebook.com slash group slash one outer i believe or just search one outer on facebook um we also had a really good time last episode if you've not listened to it then uh, download episode 11 or stream it from the site it involved myself uh, attempting to rap uh, alex <laughs> was was uh, rapping prepping for his uh, mc battle and stuff and it was a really fun episode and um we got a lot of good feedback and some guys suggested you know like story times and stuff like that so we're going to do that, so I, I think Alex has got a story ready, and I've got one for later as well, so um, we'll do that. Um, also, if you want to check out Alex for private coaching, then you can email him at... Uh, coaching at gmail.com. Check me out on Facebook at facebook.com slash assassinato. Check me out on Twitter at the assassinato. Check out what I write with my friends at pokerheadrush.com. Uh, check me out in Bluff and WPT Magazine. Yeah, all that good stuff. Everywhere. Everywhere. You can't escape me. (laughs) Google. Just Google them. (laughs) Yeah, man. Most known unknown. (laughs) Most known guy who's finished seventh in one EPT. (laughs) And making it work. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, man. If you think about that, yeah, the equity from that seventh, I mean, that has done you well now. Yeah, no, it has. Well, like, I got a lot of Italian students, and I, I, I couldn't figure out why the hell that was because they, I mean... I, I'm not trying to be mean, but a lot of them can't speak English worth a shit. And like, yeah. but I mean, the ones that, you know, a lot of them do speak really well and they're highly educated and they're great people. But I couldn't figure out why I was getting all these Italian students. And then I realized like that San Remo, you know, that was, I think the one, I, I don't know. It, it, those San Remo was like, it, those San Remo episodes were like the first WSOP episodes in the States, you know, that was yeah. the first time they really heard coverage in Italian, you know guys bannering an italian it's just like how everybody in the states knew amir vahidi even though like you know uh god rest his soul he never really did much in poker you know it's the same thing you know like oh this one american kid finished seventh it's like oh look man you know because that's all they had at the time but yeah it's helped me a lot well, let's let's think about it. If you finished first, you probably wouldn't be speaking with me. So I'm grateful yeah, for man, that. Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> I probably I probably I probably be man. I'll probably be in some rehabilitation facility if I'm yeah, not that, knowing that, man. <laughs> yeah, that money would be well gone. It would have been gone. Man. It's it's easy to come back from a couple. I don't know. When I told Jock about how much money he lost, he was like, "Damn!" But he was like, "You know, at least it wasn't a million." I was like, "Well." You know, we do know a lot of people that lost a million, you know, so that's a really good point. Yeah, that's crazy. So what have you been up to yourself anyway? You've been playing much? No, not really. I mean, I'm retired. I'm getting fatter. It's enjoyable. Yeah. No, I mean, I put on 50 pounds since I got sober. I don't feel fat yet. I don't feel fed yet. No, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to write. That's That's what I've been trying to do. I kind of... Every other time I in my poker career, when poker got frustrating, I just kind of kept at it. And then, you know, three months, six months later, I made some obscene amount of money. And then, you know, it was like happy days again until I didn't have it again. But yeah, 
lately, you know, it's more of a grind, and I haven't really had a real windfall. I've been, I've been super blessed with the house and all the stuff. That, you know, I've been very, very fortunate, very blessed the last year, but I, it, it hasn't really come in a real windfall, and there hasn't been, like, one win where I was like, yes, you know? <laughs> so it's uh, yeah. kind of that drug you get is uh winning and i don't i don't really feel it like i used to and you know the money doesn't mean as much as it did it's kind of you know i i I don't know i'm i'm adding a gym to my house right now and like an entryway way from my wife's like physical therapy clinic and yeah you know it's stuff like that is you know at at that point like you have enough money it's all right like you know yeah. like yeah. like <laughs> life's going on you know it's and yeah. it's not like back in the old days where it was like oh my god you know if i make $30,000 i made more than like i've ever thought i would make in my life so the financial the financial thing isn't there i mean it's there but it's different you know i don't need the money like i did when i was a kid it's not as easy to make and then you know when i write there's this amazing thing when i write 2000 words it doesn't magically delete 8000 words before it you know yeah. it just it just stays there on the page and even if it's crap you can probably excavate and chip away at it and find something so i went back and took out this manuscript i i wrote in a cappuccino in hash binge in malta over like a month and uh it, it's literally like if you put it in a book form like a stephen king paperback uh it would be like 750 pages so mm-hmm. it's it's obviously too long right now but yeah. it uh I, ch- I i cut away like half of it and you know i'm trying to change the like potty humor i had when i was a teenager and i'm really feeling like you know hey man i could make like one of the first poker novels you know what i mean because i i mean i haven't seen a movie or read a book that i was like that guy knew what it was like to be a professional poker player of course we all saw rounders and was like man that was genius but then you know you get older and you realize uh mike whatever is like raising to like 20x (laughs) you know heads up (laughs) and stuff like that and it's like you know what i mean it's like you kind of go man this is ridiculous so and you know, oh, it's like it's like Runner Runner. I went to see that. I haven't. I, I, I refuse to give my seven dollars to that. Yeah, well, I mean, I've got one of those cinema pass thing. You know, like sixteen pounds a month. You go as many times as you want for the same. You know, Baller. unlimited sort of thing. Baller. So yeah, that's and it's. I've been there for more than a year, so it's the black card now, which means twenty five percent off the kiosk as well. Very nice. You know, so. how, how much is a movie? How much is a movie theater ticket in Scotland? Well, I mean, I've had that pass for years. I think it's eight pounds something at the one I go to. Damn. And um, so you're talking about what's that? Eleven dollars, twelve dollars, something like that, is it? Yeah, it, it yeah. like it, yeah. it varies so wildly around the world. I went to Rush Hour Three in the Philippines, which, by the way, sucked because when people don't understand the English, you're the only jackass laughing in the theater. But it was yeah. like a dollar. And it was, like, right after it came out. And in uh, Costa Rica, it's, like, $3. And then when I go home and I take, you know, I took I took my family out to the movies. It's, like, $120 for five people. Yeah, like, what the insane. hell? <laughs> like, yeah. Down, down south in the UK, I, am, I think it was Birmingham I was at. Possibly London. I don't know. Down in England. And I was killing. It was, no, it was Birmingham. And um, I was killing time. 
and I was on my own down there. I was actually playing a tournament, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to the cinema. Um, and I walked around to see what was on, and I looked, and I'm sure they were like 16 or 17 pounds for a ticket, <laughs> which was like $24, dollars. $24, $25. I was like, You've, you're having a laugh. You know, it's like, no way. I mean, if you take your, you know, your partner and two kids to that, you could literally, would be cheaper buying like a netbook and just streaming everything or buying it off, like downloading it off of somewhere, you know, a torrent. It's just unreal. Um, That's why I think the movie industry, I mean, the cinema is not as busy as it used to be. Um, Saying that, I went to try and see that Monuments Men uh, last Friday and it was sold out completely really? during, during the day in the afternoon and this is a big cinema really? um i couldn't believe it was sold out so i don't know if that's clever marketing by them it, don't get me wrong it was valentine's day but it's not really you know a valentine's film i mean it's about the nazis and shit like that it's, yeah but i mean I not, re- really. not really it's about what awesome guys george clooney and matt damon are as they say yeah, as they yeah, save so. art like and i don't have anything yeah. against those dudes it's just like <laughs> a lot of their movies turn into like how awesome they are you know so yeah. but yeah but john goodman and bill murray is what i'd see that bill murray's excellent bill murray's yeah, a so man dude <laughs> but yeah. what was uh did you end up seeing some piece of crap movie because you could oh, we just no we just turned around and like walked out i said there wasn't anything wow. else on discipline next... yeah there wasn't anything on for the next like i was i was like i'm not waiting on you let's just go you know so that was it that was... but uh, yeah i want to see that monuments man i'm gonna go see that um American Hustle was good. Wolf of Wall Street was decent as well, but yeah, you know my uh, reservation. I, I I don't know. I've ne- I haven't walked out of a movie in a really long time. I walked out of the Wolf of Wall Street. I was just like, yo, man, I've seen this movie two hundred times. You know what I mean? And I'm like, you know, I'm taking my wife, and she's got like a stomach, but I'm like, yo, man, we gotta really be doing rails and like railing the chick at the same time four different times in the first twenty minutes, like. But I was like, you know, I I don't know. I wasn't like offended by the movie i was just eh, you know like i i feel like i've seen this movie before i'm sure it's like good but i was like man i don't i don't know i just wasn't feeling it and then i went what was it i my wife and i left the theater and we went to uh what was it maybe i've told this already but yeah we watched a uh, paranormal activity with like 300 cuban people in like the hood <laughs> in miami and man they are the best people in the world to watch scary movies with they're just screaming the whole time they're filling you in on what happened in other movies like when the guns come out they're like oh shit what now you know <laughs> so it's like it was like the best experience ever but anyway let's uh let's handle let's make let's help some people make money yeah one more thing on the wolf of wall street without coming across something like one of these complete dicks that's like oh i've read the book it's better um i will say that i've read the book and it's better so that makes me one of those, uh, you know, people because I read the book a few years ago, and when I watched the film, if anybody should have loved that film a hundred percent, it should have been. Like, I'm so interested, you know, trading and stuff like that, and it just it left me just a bit like yourself. There was nothing really in it that really blew me away, you know. It's like DiCaprio was good, like as in, but you know, I prefer like Catch Me If You Can that he did with Spielberg. You know, have oh, you seen yeah, that one? Yeah, that's cl- Catch Me If You Can is a classic. It's not like it's a bad movie. It's just made for a different demographic. When you're a young kid, like the blow and the hookers and all that is like fascinating. Once you've like traveled the world and done all the stupid crap. I mean, at least in my case, you're like, nah, you know, <laughs> like who cares? 
And then, yeah. you know, I saw the guy interviewed on CNN. And he's like, I'm a good father. I'm a good father. And normally I hate Pierce Morgan, but he's like, you did punch your pregnant wife, correct? <laughs> like in front of your children or something like that. I don't know if she was pregnant. He was like, you did punch your wife in front of your children. He was like, yeah, you know, I hadn't slept for like 20 days because of the Coke, but I think my wife, my ex-wife would tell you I'm a great father. <laughs> I'm like, yo, man, Leonardo DiCaprio is not a proper casting for this guy. Like if you really want to do justice, like, DiCaprio can't be anything but a badass. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this guy wasn't a badass. He was like, you know what I mean? Even when DiCaprio messes up, it's like, eh, you know, it's DiCaprio. He'll get back on his feet. But anyway, no, yeah, I was kind of hoping for more of the trading and stuff. Some of it was just fascinating when they got into the details because I've been meaning yeah. to read that book. And then, it, you know, they just go off on another tangent of, you know, like sex, drugs and rock and roll. And I'm like, all right, you know, I'm not I'm not fucking 15 anymore. <laughs> no, for, for me, for me, it was one of those films for people that are in the cinema and they're never going to do any shit like that. Anyway, they go home yeah, and exactly. go the they're never going to live life and do it. They watch it on the screen thinking, oh, it was great, this and that. And it's like they won't leave their girlfriend to do fucking, you know, anything. Right? Yeah, exactly, it's just like, exactly. it's crazy. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, which is, you know, that's cool. You know, people do. Which is what films should be and movies should be fun, you know, but yeah, I'm one of yeah, these exactly. people that do a look for a bit more, you know? Yeah, exactly. No, no, I mean, like, I remember that, like, Fight Club was the greatest movie I'd ever seen when I was a kid because I never thought I'd get to, you know, go around and wreck shit and travel and blah, blah, blah. Then I went around and wreck shit and traveled and I was like, hey, yeah. this kind of sucks. <laughs> You know, yeah. I mean, hookers and blow were so 2006 for me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. It was like, man, the 80s are over. This ain't Miami. I'm not into that blow crap no more, man. It's like, <laughs> well, we, we, we in Seattle, we fall asleep smoking herb, man. We don't stay up at 4 a.m. with the nosebleeds, man. It doesn't feel <laughs> it doesn't feel good after a while. I never did blow. I have no idea how. I don't I I'm not like somebody really res resist temptation, but I was I was like, you know, I know a lot of people who smoke weed every day and they're doing all right. I do not know anyone who's, you know, going 20 years with the blow. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know a lot of people that don't seem like humans anymore because of uh, what they did. You know, if you – I don't know. I'm not one of these big, like, anti-drug people. If, it, if it's somebody wants to do that once in their life, like, I don't, I don't understand why that's the government's place to tell you never to do it. But – I mean, that's certainly something you're never going to come out ahead on, you know yeah. what I mean? And it, it, and it is very possible the first time you do it, you make a life-altering decision that you will regret for the rest of your life. And I'm the king of those when I'm dead sober, so I didn't want to add variance. But yeah. yeah, anyway, drugs and blow and stuff, let's help some people make money. I want to help yeah. people make money. What's some questions today, Barry? Let's stay, stay away from... Uh, drugs kids just say no no man that's the message yeah it is it's true no no and it, here's although i said that i said that with uh alan boston i think he's did i don't want to misquote alan boston because he was such a fun guest and such a sharp guy but i said something like that the message and he was like no the message is just say yes dabble in this and that and get out of here it was something <laughs> along it was I, I as i say i do not want to misquote him i mean the podcast there for you to listen to but Listen to the Alan Boston one if you want to hear about drugs and all that nonsense. I mean, there's great stuff there. Stu Unger stories a lot. Yeah. But you're right. This is Ask Alex, and there are questions. Hold up. Uh, let, me, let me get my drug thing in. Okay. Here's the thing. You become what you think about. If you think about nothing, you become nothing. Drugs, 
if, I think if you want to smoke herb or have, you know, drink a little once in a while, you know, I don't think that's the government's business. Those are some, I think, I think drinking probably would cause more violence. You know what I mean? But if you want to have a couple drinks with your boys or smoke, smoke a J and talk, I think that can help you think about something differently. If you do it every day, you'll become, you will start thinking about nothing. You will become nothing. That's just yeah. how it works. You know what I mean? Now, in a lot of the campaigns, the thing I hate about anti-drug campaigns is they tell you your life is going to be over. It's like you can do heroin a bunch of times and not get addicted. That's, that's, that's the sad truth. So when people do it five times and they're like, hey, man, I'm still going to work. I'm still sharp. You know, I've had some good times. You know, maybe I'm going to start doing this every day. That's the problem. No, you'll have like. You know, you'll have some trippy experiences, but, you know, if you want to stay on your game, man, and we're, we're talking about poker, guys, it's just like being in a, any other sport. You can't, not one of the highest stakes players smokes weed every day, or Phil Ivey doesn't even like drinking, and most of the, a lot of the high stakes guys I know don't like to drink. They drink like one or two beers, and that's pretty much it, tops. You know what I mean? There are obvious exceptions, but then why, why do you hear so many no drinking bets? Is that because they think alcohol was terrific for their game it wasn't jason mercier on one of those or something like that i don't know do you pay attention to poker anymore barry i don't no <laughs> yeah, yeah me neither but they they do a lot of anti-drinking bets and no drinking bets yeah. whatever anyway continuing it is called ask alex i would like to talk you never shut yeah. up barry my god yeah i know anyway uh here we go the first question is from uh, Jakob Sedivi or Sedivi. Nice. Um, oh yeah. Alex, do you think it is more profitable to late reg in a tournament with shallow stacks or play them since the since the start? So play them from the start or late reg with a shallow stack. If I've learned one thing from Phil Helmuth, it is show up 20 minutes before every tournament, sit in your chair, check out the whole lay of the land, talk to the dealer, and play every hand. No, uh, I, I, I recommend this uh, strategy, and if you would like to read more about it, uh, what, what was that called? It was called Write the Ship. Uh, Alex Fitzgerald, Write the Ship, Blood, uh, sh- <laughs> ship uh, Bluff Magazine. And it's just about a registering theory I developed for my... Uh, for my students who were in a hundred K 200 K makeup and they were like, I don't think I'm ever going to get out of this. And it's a much more low risk, high reward system of focusing on more tables. And a big part of that system is, uh, a big part of that system is, uh, sorry, my maid was playing with a dog. I think she thinks I'm in a normal (laughs) lesson, but anyway, (laughs) uh, it, one big part of that system is you have a cap, how many tables you play, because a lot of people are like, I'm really comfortable with 10. And so I always go, uh, I always go, I always go eight. You know what I mean? Take a couple off, take two off of what you feel you're comfortable with. And then you'll really focus. And then the problem is like, how do you stay at eight tables? Well, a lot of people go, Oh, I can't miss this tournament. I can't miss this tournament. You can miss the hot 50. You can miss the 25 cents you're making an hour in that turbo and a lot of these people don't realize when they're deep in like a 109 especially like a big 109 their stack is worth like 700 800 dollars and if your average buy-in is 60 something dollars you by adding a few more turbos on the side because you know oh i can't skip this tournament you're risking the 700 dollars you have in front of you for the 50 cents an hour you're going to make on these turbos on the side so i always say you know have a cap 
of how many tables. Remember, the tournament lobby is a buffet. Now, remember the first time you went to a buffet. I know some of this is retreading if you've listened to all the episodes, but this is very important. Um, when you go to a buffet, if you take everything, you're going to vomit, not enjoy any of it. If you take just what you really like and focus on it, you're really going to enjoy it, and you're going to have a very varied meal and get a lot of value out of it. It's the same thing with the tournament lobby. You pick the tournaments you really love, you really focus on them. Uh, <clears throat> if you want to learn how to focus more, check out Be Your Own Leadership on Pocket Fives. Okay, enough plugs. But it, you really focus on those. And a big thing about that is like once you lose the table, you've really focused on it. Then you, sh- you know, if you're still feeling good, you should register for something else. And uh, a lot of times there will be a great tournament going on and it's 40 minutes in. And I don't think that's a big deal. I don't, I, I don't think uh, the crucial pots you don't want to miss are like going in like an hour and a half after uh, in most tournament structures. Now, there's a, like 888 comes to mind. 888 will let you like reg with two big blinds. You don't want to do that. Uh, you want to, you know, I usually cap it at an hour. If it's been going longer than an hour, it's got to be a really high value tournament for me to enter. Or the structure has to be great. Like uh, the Sunday warm up has a pretty good beginning structure. So like, let's say I wake up, I'm not feeling that good. I sleep another 40 minutes. I wake up, okay, I feel better. And the Sunday warm ups there and it's an hour and 10 minutes in, I'll play it. You know, that that's fine. I think it is much better to control how many tables you play than to focus well, to focus on not focusing when you have too many tables and you're just playing 2040 on all of them. And this structure that I've made for people, this is how I got out of, I can't claim credit for this. A lot of this was devised by probably one of the smartest professional gamblers, investors I know who, he doesn't even like Nolan and Hold'em. He's just making money at everything else. But he, uh, he had a hand in backing me a few years back and he watched me play and he was like, you're working too hard, do this. And he gave me kind of the, primitive version of this kind of the bare bones but it was just i went out of 160k makeup like nothing like just nothing and that was uh using this structure is what helped me i think i final table like eight five hundred dollar tournaments between like the very small sites and won the w coop 1k or chopped it chopped it more accurately and a lot of my students who you know they were in insane makeup totals you know they drop and the other thing I have them do is I drop a bunch of the turbos because, you know, your earn on that is not nearly what you think it is. Uh, and if you put in a, a lot more of these bread and butter bets, the, you know, the 109s on iPoker that only 30 people you've never heard of play, you start building, you know, you start building up momentum. You get more final tables, you get more caches. When you have a losing day, it's not as big. When you have a winning day, it's probably not as big either, but then you start putting together some results knocking off the makeup or knocking off your downswing. You start feeling better. You start playing more. And that's the kind of thing we want to do. And none of the high stakes players play that many tables. You don't hear about any of the really high stakes guys. I mean, I know there's like Mormon, but he's a beast of nature and I could never understand how his mind operates. But most of the, like Jason Kuhn says, I I don't play that many tables. And Jason Kuhn is extremely successful uh, Sowers has been probably one of the most consistent guys to come from the online world. And, uh, he plays very few tables and, uh, Pisegno, a lot of people reference him as far as, Oh, a guy who plays a lot of tables, Pisegno understands he can't play like high, his best poker 
when he's playing that many tables. So he very, with, with a lot of humility, he only plays like $30 average buy-ins most of the time. And I think that's why he stacks up. But most of these guys really focus at the end, but you don't have to wait to the end. If you want to learn, you want to put more in the hours, just not put more hours in. You have to focus on a certain number of tables, and that really requires late registration. Anyhow, I think I finished that one up. Yeah, that's it's interesting way of looking at it, and I suppose um, when it's different for people that are playing for a living or if you're playing recreationally. I suppose if you're playing recreationally, you want to put, get in from the start and splash around a bit and have you know get some value for your sort of money. But if you're playing for a living and you're buying in and you're coming in with like 15, 20 big blinds, I don't think it really changes your uh, EV or that from that tournament. Would you say you know in terms of oh it does if you bought, in, if you bought into the to the open. I mean like with these guys that are you know playing so many tables oh yeah yeah you know, no you know, because oh, yeah, yeah yeah you gotta their their, their decisions become a little bit more not push full but a little bit more straightforward when they are multi-tabling isn't it if they've got 15 20 big blinds to deal with yeah they're i mean they're playing an automatic style anyway so you see a lot yeah. of those guys play eight six at the beginning of tournaments and never do anything with the beginning stages anyway so it doesn't really it doesn't yeah. really matter if they reg like two hours late because that you know, and that was a really good strategy back in the day when nobody understood rejams. But that's why you're seeing, that's why business is booming for me. Is because I just, you know, every day I get a guy, I'm 150k in makeup. I don't know why. I made money every day, from I mean, I made mo- money every month from 2006 to 2011. It's what? Well, the rejam crap doesn't work anymore. And yeah, it's yeah. not going to affect your EV, but your EV is probably nothing now because everybody's just too damn good. People like. Uh, Jakub Savini or whatever his name is. What you? I know you're from some Eastern European or Czech country or something where people are highly educated and speak three languages and have two degrees to work at a McDonald's. And these guys come up and they're really good in poker. And honestly, they play a lot better than most of my American brethren did after eight years. And they've only studied for two. Now there's more education available, but you have to, I mean, you have to really focus to make money at tournaments now. Uh, end rant. Yeah. Um, okay, the next question is from Stephen Meehan, and he has, can you ask Alex uh, if he can take us through a coaching session? Uh, obviously, I don't think he, he means give us like an hour now of coaching, <laughs> but uh, take us through a coaching session, what like what you would expect and stuff, and how could you bre- best prepare... God, I am so tired. I'm butchering every sentence. How could you best how could you best prepare for a lesson with you? That's a that is a fantastic question, Stephen. Uh, thank you very much. Actually both of these questions have been excellent. This is stuff I would choose to talk about because it comes up so much. Uh here's how the normal lesson goes. Uh with a lot of these pros, some of whom charge more than me. You come, they have no plan. They say, bring me a hand history. They go through it. They mumble how they would play differently. And, you know, at 59 minutes and 22 seconds, they're done. And that, that's it. And, uh, you know, you might actually learn some things from that. Like, I can, uh, you know, a lot of coming up was just hearing guys analyze my hands in that way. But it's, it's not the most bang for your buck. Now, the way I do it is I don't really like – a lot of hand history reviews. If you're 
Uh, he doesn't work with me anymore because he doesn't need it. But like Naza one one four could use it, and uh, what's his name, Rocky six, uh, eh, the Finland sensation. Uh, when they work with me, they come with hand histories because they know ninety nine percent of what I know, and they're just looking for like little things they can improve, and that is super helpful. But if you're just an introductory player, I'm not going to rush through your hand histories looking for the exact same things I talk about with everyone else at your level. I years ago, I put together a bunch of hands uh, for a Jack straw lecture. I've added probably 50 to that. And, you know, we just start with the most basic ones, you know, like, why do you raise? Why do you come in preflop? And we go through everything on that. You get follow up work on that. You get, you know, you get every article I've ever written on the topic, and I'll tell you, this is the best one. This is the one you should check, but just to see how it all came together, read these ones. Uh, there's a, the only, like, product that costs anything is uh, my first lecture because that was an insane amount of work uh, doing the PowerPoint and all that. And uh, it, that's just four hours of video on just your most basic, like, opens and three bets and why Pisagno is so much better at it than everybody Pusagno and Phil Helmuth are so much better at it than pretty much everybody. There's a real mathematical basis for it, but we start with those topics and then we move up from opens to three bets to playing out of position to then we start donk betting. Then we start barreling. Then we start and everything has backup work with it. I'm going to show you the concept. I'm going to make sure you get it because it's really easy to read something about poker. I read let there be range in 2007 and if I'd really understood it, I'd be I'd have five million dollars and be living in a castle in Switzerland right now. But I didn't understand it. I got it. But I didn't like it, it, it didn't become a part of my game. So you need to like really get it. And the way I get it, the way I get it through to a lot of people is I read something about how it, it was a method. What's his name? It's some self-help speaker who's like insanely more popular than everybody else. And they asked him why. And he was like, well, it was just, I talked to a few scientists and it was, uh, he found everybody else was just talking to their audience. He made them answer questions. He made them take notes. He had them discuss with other people. And magically, instead of most people retaining like 20% of what they, uh, what they heard, they retained 80%. So he, even though he was pitching a lot of the same material, they got it. I think I I can communicate far better than I play poker. Uh, I can I've been writing since I was 14, so I know how to use the English language to describe what I'm thinking. So I make it more bite-sized and understandable to the layman to begin with. But then we uh, I ask you questions, I quiz you, I make you feel silly. But then when you learn it, when you get it right, you're never going to forget it because all that time you spent. Did you ever have a test, Barry, growing up where you just couldn't remember an answer? And then when you got it in the middle of the test, you never forgot that answer ever again? Did that ever happen to you? Nah, I was just fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'll remember. Yeah, I know it. Yeah, I know what you mean. You still remember it to this day, sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. When you had to fight yeah. for it, you have to remember it. But But if you, like, yeah. kind of got it on a tertiary level is that the word when you got it on a surface level you you kind of you get it but you can lose it really quickly if i like keep you on your toes and freak you out for an hour and ask you questions you're probably going to retain much more of it 
And then, well, it's the old thing, isn't it? There's a difference between knowledge and understanding, sort of thing. You can know something really like a know yeah. a fact, but understanding it is totally different. How you got there, you know, it's it's the old thing that the math teachers used to say. Like, you could give them the answer, but they'd say, "Well, we need to see your working to see how you got there." You know, exactly. You could just write the answer. Exactly, exactly. And something I rail on a bunch of my Christian friends about is like, you know, I always like to whine about how people like just it's so cool to go off on christians but at the same time a lot of them bring it on themselves you know because you read the bible and it's like it's pretty clear cut give to those who will take from you doesn't really sound like you know just backhand anyone who's getting a welfare check you know what i mean but you know if you if you you want to show you actually have to help people in a different way you have to you have to articulate it a little better, but a lot of people, you know, they read it and they go, Oh, that's genius. You know what I mean? I'm sure they understood it when they read it, but they don't get it. They don't put it in any concept of living, but yeah. Anyway, anyway, and yeah, we try to, I try to get you to retain as much as possible. A lot of this stuff you'll know intuitively, but nobody, we get rid of all the conventions, everything that's like people tell you it's not good to do. It's because 99% of poker books are shit. 95% of training videos are shit. And they're people just following trends. And that's never, I don't know anyone who's number one in their game who follows trends. Now I'm a dramatic underachiever, but with very average intelligence, I've made much more money than many people who are far more talented than me because I've reached out for different answers from different sources, from different nationalities. And Sometimes I've had to talk to people that don't even speak English that well. I've had to talk to people that are considered really bad players, but they have one concept. If there's a thousand total concepts in poker and you're missing these 20, if there's one guy in Bulgaria who has that one of those 20, but he doesn't have the other 999 others, that guy is far more valuable than the guy who has 970 that you know. So you have to talk to those people. You have to be open-minded and cultivate a way of learning from these people that doesn't put them down because they have a beginner's mind. Now, going back into the lesson, uh, what I try to do is get you on your feet and then you understand it a little more. Then you get homework and then we just go bam, bam, bam. If you do these concepts, if you buy just one hour, I try to put as much as possible in the first hour. Just like if you hired a golf coach, he'd be working on your drive. Because the drive sets up so many other things. Uh, just the drive. We don't get into your putting. Are, there, are you putting, right? But they, they don't get into the chip shots and hitting from the bunkers or uh, the sand traps. I don't know if you guys call them bunkers over there. Bunkers. Yeah, bunkers. You call them bunkers? Okay, yeah. I don't know. I know you guys like created golf like six Yeah, that's what I was a way to say. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, they uh, – you uh, – you try to focus on what's going to get the most improvement, the fastest. I put together a lesson plan for that. And then you go home and you got to read those articles with a highlighter or circle things. And then you got to turn them into goals. You have to go tomorrow. I'm going to try this five times. If you have a bad backhand, your tennis coach is going to hit a hundred shots at you the next practice. And you're going to have to backhand every single one of them. If you can't three bet bluff for shit, you have to 10 times in your next session, try to three bet bluff. It doesn't matter if it fails. You've got to market withhold a manager, go over it, go use the methodology that's now written down for you. 
You don't have to go back to me. That's another thing. A lot of coaches want you dependent on them. They want you coming back over and over. I have too many of you people. I need to get rid of you, which means I need to get rid of you by making you good right away. So you look at that document, you go, okay, let me analyze this. And ah, this was a good play. Ah, this wasn't a good play. Or, hey, Alex said this was a good play seven times and all seven times it didn't work. What am I getting wrong? Go into, if you can't get it, now write it down. Congratulations. You have found the next thing you need to talk to with me or someone else or with one of your friends. But you have to get through every, it will get you, this process will help you locate your real leaks way faster because many of the things that people identify as leaks are just basic mathematical misunderstandings. An eighth grader could do the math. And once I present it to you, you're just going to go, Oh, okay, I get it. And then there's far more delicate things you need to work on. And we get more to that nitty gritty faster by getting you in the basics really fast. And then you got to do your homework. You got to try to get these hands. I usually make people mark hands where they try that out and then I have them go through it themselves, then pick the hands they just really had no idea what to do or something came up they weren't prepared for. And then we build off of that. Now, if you're a more advanced player, perhaps you're already doing this process yourself. So you don't need to hear my lecture, although I'd really recommend it. Uh, uh, it, You say like, hey, I got, you know, this and this I really understand. And then I'll go through it really quickly. I probably won't even care about that five minutes and then if i know you understand it i'll move to something far more experienced and way more difficult to talk about and then we'll get into the you know bet semi-bluffing equity why some pot-sized bets on the turn only need to work 20 percent of the time to show a profit over betting check raising uh cold for betting these kind of the really sexy things don't come up till much later and if you you'll notice a lot of these guys are not super flashy players the guys who make a lot of money jason mercier doesn't do much that that's flashy that that is that flashy we try to get you the basics and then we build up on the stuff that uh you know will get you credit street cred with the swedes and yeah i mean that's that's pretty much how a lot of them go through. We do do hand history reviews, but uh, I try to really, you know, I go through them really quickly. Then I might spend 20 minutes on one hand because it's such a glaring leak. I don't try to get through an entire hand history in one hour. I think that's kind of skimming and th- that's not really fair to you. Anyways, end rant. Yeah, when I think I've said this a couple of times and sort of like uh, recommending Alex and stuff like that. And I- I've had you know, a couple of lessons with Alex myself um, a while back now when I was playing, uh, you know, a decent volume and stuff. And I've always said that you sort of teach people how, you taught me anyway how to think about poker rather than just these are, this is what you do. Like, don't question it. I'm one of these people that's always like, right, why? I need to know why something is or not. You know, otherwise I don't believe it or I don't sort of like accept it or or I just forget it really. Whereas you were teaching me, I I said it in the last podcast about the, you know, the amount risk divided by blah, blah, you know, that's little concepts and nuggets like that stick with me and go, then what I found myself doing is when I was playing hands, I was thinking, not what would Alex do, but almost a little bit of that, but just thinking about how to deal with a hand. And, you know, so if you do, if you're just shown one way of doing something um, in a couple of hands, then you know how to play you know, Queen's middle position with 17 big blinds and such and such players to follow. But 
if you know how to just uh, the tools to dissect any hand, then you sort of start working through it yourself. And like I, as I've said a few times, I think that's what you, you did great, you know, with me. And I assume you still teach. Uh, it's how to think about poker, so you can then go off and do your own work and research and stuff like that. Like you say, it's not just. I mean, I think I only had two, maybe three lessons with you, and um, I started playing the, the 180s, you know, for a couple of years and did really well at them, profitable, and I got my first, well, my biggest score uh, in one of the tournaments, you know, like the second in the 10 rebuy, stuff like that, and I wasn't playing much tournaments, it was really just the 180s that, you know, I was playing, and definitely, you know, it helped me, so, uh, yeah, just uh, recommend Alex again, I mean, I've never had a lesson off someone else, so I don't know what else they're like. But, but I do know I do know people that have, and um, you know I've showed people some of the. Obviously, Alex, I think you still do this. You sent me a recording of the lesson and stuff. Do you still do if, that? If people request it, we still do that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was something <clears throat> that I referred to, you know, for a while after it and stuff as well. So, uh, you know, and yeah, you wouldn't be on my podcast if he wasn't uh, wasn't a good coach. Yeah. <laughs> No, and I, I think one thing I'm really thankful you brought up there is it trying to teach people how to think is so much more fun than uh, I read the theory of poker three times when I was in high school, because even though David Skolansky, you know, he's uh, he's obviously I, I don't know how to put this delicately. You can't really remember any result or him being in Bobby's room or anything like that. He wrote one of the greatest poker books of all time because he taught you how to think about poker and that's way more fun because you know if you if you're just gonna try to get every little detail of every little hand you you know you're gonna need 500 hours to talk to any player but if you get taught how to think you can go on your own path and become your own player and what works for me might might not work for you but if you have a firm mathematical basis you can prove it yeah yeah no definitely i mean i think it's more important to Rather than just, yeah, do this way just because. You know, if you've got 10 big blinds here, you must do this. Just do it. I've never it's, understood it's, that. Every time. Every time. Never understood that. that. Yeah. That drives, yeah, it's like, that drives me nuts. Yeah, you got to know why. Well, for, um, furthermore, okay. hold on. Most of these guys that were like, you have to do this. My way is the only right way. I don't know where the fuck they are. You know, yeah. two years, they're gone. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're just gone. You know what I mean? And so it's, you know, if you whenever I hear a guy talking like that, I'm like, dude, do yourself a favor. Like just on the way down, you're going to have to talk to these people again. Trust me. And I, I was definitely <laughs> one of those people too. So anyhow, moving on. Next guy is Paul Clemson. Um, and he asked the question through the Facebook group. So another plug for that, get, get involved. Um, it's here we go. I'm currently a few episodes behind. So ignore me if this is already being dealt with. Uh, but Alex, do you think it is better for players looking to build a bankroll to focus on choosing one format of the game, i.e. cash, MTTs, or sitting goes, and really get good at that? I, I think one format is better. The, the standard progression is sitting goes, MTTs, cash games. Uh, the deeper the stacks, the more difficult the poker becomes. So you kind of want to go from 10 big blinds to 30 big blinds, and then maybe you can play capped at 50 big blinds and then you can go to 100 and then one day you can start spewing with me with 200 big blinds on zoom <laughs> and uh it's uh you know that's uh it, it, that's the standard progression and i uh 
just as someone who kind of played with a gun to my head when I was uh, a kid, I, you know, if I went broke, there was like, there was nowhere to go, you know? So I tried to play a bunch of different games to, you know, try to find this magic, uh, this magic fountain of money. And it didn't really work. But what did work was focusing on one game and just every day wake up, you know, like an hour of review. You got to warm up. You know what I mean? If you're not like Jared Tendler says, if you're not going to warm up before you play, you're going to do it in your first 20 minutes. And sadly, you can spend the next five hours chasing that first 20 minutes, you know, so it's really bad for you to do that. But if you wake up and uh, you put an hour into study and then you go in and play you're going to be a miles ahead of everybody else because nobody likes to study. They just want to play. And if you focus on one game and just try to become the best at it by, you know, if you got to play less tables, you got to play less tables. That's it. You know, when I went pro, you know, a lot of people think I had some big score. When I went back to my old home games, uh, I mean, there was like a home game tour for lack of a better word, like near my house and, you know, back then, like, a professional poker player was a mythical creature, you know, and they found out I was playing poker. They were like, oh, man, you must be playing huge buy-ins. I was like, no, I, you know, I went to my security job, worked eight hours, you know, on my breaks. My house was sometimes not on my breaks. I would, uh, my walkie-talkie worked in my apartment. That was the greatest thing ever. So I'd just walk off the property and, like, they were changing owners. The pro- property was being sold from Safeco Insurance to, uh, uh, the University of Washington. So, like, Safeco just didn't give a shit. They were going to fire us in two months anyway, right? So I just walked off the property and went up into my apartment, and I would just watch, Jesus, this was back when real poker training was a thing. It was <laughs> NSXT2. Do you know who that is, Barry? No. There you go. He was a huge name, and honestly, I learned a lot from his videos. And then I think Sheet's first training video was on that site. It was before Poker X Factor became a thing. But then once uh, Poker X Factor was big, that's all I watched. And I'd go there and I'd watch like an hour and I'd take notes and I'd go back to my job and I'd listen to poker podcasts uh, on my uh, little uh, – what do you call that? It's on an iPhone. What was it called back then? An iPod. And, yeah, uh, iPod. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. I literally couldn't remember what it was called. And uh, – you know, I'd listen to my iPod and then, you know, I was warmed up and I came home and I'd like four table, $30 sit and goes. And, you know, eventually I six tabled like $15 tournaments. And then, you know, I threw in a $20 tournament here and there, but only once a week. And then, you know, the second month I was, uh, the second month I was playing, I won two $20 tournaments. I made 7,000 at my, uh, at poker and I made 1200 at my job and I was like, well, fuck this shit. And I left, I left my job and, you know, spent the next five months learning. I was pretty bad at poker, but I stayed at low stakes and focused on sit and goes. And, you know, at first I was losing for a while. Then I was break even as people got better. And then, you know, eventually I had this graph that was slow, but surely moving up. Had to move down to 15s, had to change how many tables, then I could add more tables. But it was like an eight-month process, 60 hours a week, even back then. And then, you know, within a year, I had enough money. Everybody was like, oh, man, you know, you must have run good or not even that. Or it's just like, you must be really good at poker. And it's like, no, no, not really. I was pretty bad. I just, you know, it's just about managing tables yourself and time. And you can, you know, there's 24 hours a day and you don't need to sleep eight hours. 
You know what I mean? And uh, yeah. there's no reason you have to have your own pad. You can sleep at home. I mean, you can live at home if you're, you know, you're good with your parents. You can, you know, you got to get on that grind, though. You know, it's, it's what it's about. Definite, definite. And the thing is about focusing as well, like what you said, picking, you know, one thing. I found that with my own game when I was, I would splash around cash. Um, I'd play live, jump in tournaments. Um, when Zoom Poker first came, well, it was Rush, you know, on Full Tail. I did that for a while. And I would jump from thing to thing. And it wasn't until I really just, the 180 mans, and it was actually the infamous Nick Rainey that got me into that. It was, uh, he was going to be coming on for an interview. And he gave me like a few sessions and, you know, his past and, you know, whatever is all well publicized. This was before um, he... You know, it was all over 2 plus 2 about staking people and whatever and uh, disappearing with money or something. I can't remember what the whole thread was. And uh, he's fell off the face of the earth since then. But he gave me, like, a couple of lessons, just totally free on Skype. Um, and that got me into, like, the 180s. And then I got the lessons from you and stuff. And I played them for, like, 18 months, I think, and ended up getting, like, a really, you know, 25% ROI... <sighs> banged bang through them you know like 15,000 games or something like that I can't really remember and just really started to get the game you know get the regs have the notes on the regs um, use all the stuff that I used to see other people use and do that I was like ah, fuck that that's too much hassle you know I just want to play poker but I actually started you know with the notes and colouring the players and uh, reviewing hands and things and I really enjoyed them because they were turbos I could load up, and I mean, I got to, I think I was like 18, 20 table in them at one point, stacking them, and I was just like banging in the volume with them, and I really enjoyed it, they were turbos, I could stop after like three, four hour session, no problem, and then start again, you know, like that, and it really fitted my lifestyle, and you know, I enjoyed them, and I think that's because I focused on the one thing, I sort of stopped playing other bits and pieces, and then obviously part of you starts going, oh, I should play some tournaments, and try and look for that score and stuff again. But with those 180 mans, I mean, some days, you know, you can have $1,200 profit days and uh, your downside's not huge in those things as well. You know, it was, uh, I think definitely picking something and focus on it. I mean, if I was going to be getting back into poker to that extent, again, I would definitely go, right, it's Zoom Cash or it's MTTs or it's Singles. I think you can spread yourself too thin and be one of those, was it, you know, a jack-of-all-trades and a master-of-none sort of thing? Yeah. Um, and just find yourself going round in circles. So, yeah, I would definitely say, like, focus. I mean, some people are just complete Jedis and can do it all, you know, but for mere mortals, it's like definitely pick one thing and see how you get on with it. And maybe, like, that's something to consider, like turbos, you know, for your lifestyle if you don't get a huge amount of time. Or, you know, I know you've been playing a lot of Zoom Cash as well. I mean, it's just so convenient, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a dream. You know, I just wake up at 7 when a bunch of Euro regs seem to be losing their crap or something. I don't know. And, I, you know, I play for three hours and that's the day. You know, that was yeah. – that's 2,000-something hands. That used to take me a month live when I played live yeah. for a living. And, yeah, I mean, the other thing a lot of people forget is – uh, I mean, like you and uh, you in Scotland, me in Seattle, those aren't cheap. That's not cheap places to live, but you could make a living wage there. And it was pretty fun being a kid playing sit and goes for four hours. And then, you know, all right, let's, uh, let's go, uh, check out, you know, some indie movie theater or something, right? Let's go hang out, yeah. you know, in Seattle and have a good time. Right. But you can live in Thailand. You can live 
in the Philippines. You can live in uh, what's a very cheap central, <laughs> what's a cheap safe place in South America or <laughs> Central America, because <laughs> it's not. Costa Rica was very Costa Rica is very affordable now, but like when I got here, it was so much cheaper. But like you can live in Costa Rica and you can rent like a really nice furnished apartment for five hundred dollars, and you can uh, you can get like a steak dinner for eight dollars, and it'll be pretty good. And you can yeah. get you know like fresh fish and like good veggies and rice and beans and all that for four dollars. And you know you're making your money in dollars are you know, you can play these like five euro, 10 euro sit and goes on, you know, it, one way I made a bunch of money is I played on every network everybody hated when I was a kid. And I played from 8 p.m. till like eight in the morning. And, you know, there's nobody coherent on any of those sites. Everybody hates the software. So no pros are playing. And, you know, it's only, you know, it's a, it's only a couple dollars at a time. And then there's different currencies and you get robbed on the conversion sometimes but it added up really quick and it was yeah. you know it becomes intoxicating and then you get to you make that money in euros or pounds and then you change it to pesos or colones or uh i remember when i was in south korea that was a strategic decision because my friends who were in currency conversion were telling me oh the the korean won is going to get devalued versus the dollar and you know there were games going off there, but that was like that was back when it was like one point seven dollars for one euro, and the dollar was one of the weak. It was one of the times the dollar was the weakest ever. But I could live in this really high tech, amazing society, and my dollars kept increasing in value while I was there. And it was like the only currency it was doing that in. And you can you know you can get tactical about this, and it's really fun. It's it's really fun, but you got to put in the work, and you got to love putting in the work. If you don't love putting in the work and not getting paid for a long time, you're never gonna love it when you do get paid. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, we're going to do a feature now that we did last. Well, we started it last week. Um, story time. So, Alex, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. One second. Let me cough. <coughs> okay. All right. Story time. Well, this one's about my friends before I got into poker. I, I guess I was starting to get into poker in high school. And this is more of a – I have these two friends. I'm not going to say their name. Uh, if anybody listens from that area, they're going to know who. But uh, <laughs> it was uh, – sorry, my voice is starting to go. They were uh, – they're really cool kids, and they were very bright, right? But, we, you know, we were, we were 15, and we were, uh, you know, we were more into music and other – unseemly things we're not going to discuss because i'm talking about other people but uh they were you know they were just out one night you know uh probably up to no good but not doing anything other teenagers haven't done and they were just walking around uh a high school and they they walked they were walking around this high school and they saw this shed that was open right and uh they they and they were like all oh, right cool right Let's see what's in there. And they go in and there's like nothing, right? There's like a rotary phone and there's like this binder, right? And uh, they kind of take the binder without thinking. And they took the rotary phone because it was like, ah, you know, who's you, who goes out to a shed to use a rotary phone? They're not using this, right? And, you know, they were just kids. So they go, they go, back, they go back to the house and they open the binder and they, uh, they find out it has the names of every student in the school, their medical condition, their medical conditions, 
their social security numbers, their addresses. Uh-huh. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm saying right. Yeah, yeah, there you go, right? So then they're like, you know, we're like 15 or something, right? So they're, uh, Alex, you got to come over. I'm like, yeah, 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 right. I don't know what I was doing. But they're, uh, you know, they they do what 15-year-olds will do. They, like, call up some girl and they're like, I heard you had hemorrhoids, right? Or something like that. Anyways, dad comes in while they're doing this. Now, dad is a no-bullshit guy who works on the train tracks, right? uh, he's a, he's a sturdy fellow. He's a good guy. Right. He goes in and he's like, what is this? Right. And he looks at it and he's like, Oh my God. Right. He goes, where'd you find this? And my friends, you know, like panicking, right. They don't want to say like they saw like a storage shed just open and they went in. Right. Yeah. And they go, um, we, we found it on the side of the road near the school. He, the guy goes, Oh my God. And he's, you know, he, he goes to call the school and he goes, wait a minute. If I call the school, they're just going to wrap this up. Right. He's like, well, I should call the police. He's like, well, the police are kind of in cahoots with the school there, right? They're probably going to cover this up. And he's like, I know. I'm going to call the local news. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I show up. And this time, they're like, hold up. We're going to be on the news, right? I'm like, what the fuck do you mean you're going to be on the news? What have you ever done with your life, right? He's like, no, yeah. wait for it, right? And, like, Every news station comes up, right, and finds out because all this private data got – I mean, this could have been like a multi-million dollar lawsuit if anybody's identity got stolen, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they call, so we're like watching on the news. I mean, I'm sure we were pretty intoxicated on something. And my buddy is like, yeah, so I was skateboarding and I saw this binder and I thought like, you know, better me than a pedophile. I'm really glad a pedophile didn't catch this. <laughs> and, uh, I brought it back home and my dad called, right? And they're interviewing the dad, right? And like, it is just this embarrassing thing for this school, right? This school is like losing their mind. Like, what the hell happened? Are you curious? Are you kidding me? And, you know, they're, they're talking on the news like privacy. Can we really trust if our children are safe in the public school systems? Right. You know, the whole time they're, you know, we're, we're watching this on TV and we're just loving this. Right. Cause we hated that school. And like, I'm sure somebody like left the lock off and it would, they would have closed it in like one day. They weren't bad people. Right. But we were like, ha ha, you were irresponsible. Right. And then, now, then they came out on the news and they said, uh, uh, it, it was that the school has just reported that they have, uh, they have figured out it was because of a break in and they're going to be looking over security footage to find out. And of course that was just <laughs> the, the, but then in the meantime, you know, my, my friend is shitting bricks, right? Yeah. And then he gets a call from the mayor and the mayor's like, look, I, it, we want to, we want to present you the key to the city for what you did. <laughs> 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 he's like yeah uh, why, why don't we put that off a little bit you know you don't you don't have to do anything for me he's like no no son what you did was really you know a lot of kids would have gone home and messed up and, like, <laughs> something with, or like called a girl and like brought up her pregnancy or something which yeah. I, i'm pretty sure you know they did something of the sort not that bad he's a he's like one of the nicest best guys i know an incredible artist and 
he's like, I'm sure he did nothing malicious. I don't, I'm pretty yeah. sure he would have told me if he did something malicious, right? But he's just like, no, 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 it's okay. You know, you don't have to do that. It's all right. No, no, no. We really want it. He's like, dude, what am I going to do? They're going to give me the key to the city and they're going to find out I stole that, right? <laughs> and like, they're like, no, man, just, you know, and at some point it should have hit us, you know, Nobody announces they're going to look at security footage. You know what I mean? How many times have you turned on the news and are like, we're going to look for yeah. some security footage. So if you're that guy, you better turn yourself in. But, you yeah. know, we're all fucking retarded at that age. And we're just like for a week, like, oh, shit, oh, shit. Right. And, you know, yeah. it, and of course, we told, a few, you know, we got everybody around for. Uh, you know, for when it came out on the news and we recorded and we were passing the tapes around, you know, there's like 20, 30 people who know what happened and the city is announcing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah, we're going to, you know, the, he's this hero, right? He's the greatest kid ever. And he's like, all I did was take it home. I called like two people, man. I didn't know what I was doing, man. I didn't know. And, you know, he was probably. I know this guy, he probably was just going to like, oh man, this is some serious crap, you know, after he got his Beavis and Butthead out of his system. But like, and then, yeah, eventually, you know, they never found the security footage and, you know, it all kind of dissipated. But every year, you know, we get real fucking lit up and we'd watch those <laughs> news, news reels and like just shit ourselves. Like watching the administrators like, ah, oh, get no, what? Because, you know, they, he was claiming it like got dropped in a parking lot. Like, yeah. and they were trying to wonder, like, who, who the fuck, like, takes this and drops it in a parking lot, you yeah. know? But yeah, that was, uh, oh, that was one of the better times growing up. That was even, even for it to be in a storage shed or whatever. Yeah, it was set. pretty seamless. Furthermore, yeah. why is it on a piece of paper? You know, yeah. it should be in something encrypted in a computer or something. Yeah. No, and that school is like actually a pretty good school, and they've had a lot of like good kids come out of it. I think, you know, I, I don't know, they, they. Uh, they've had their slip-ups over the years. That that one's actually a little more minor than some of the other stuff that came up. But I, I don't know. You know, it's I have no idea what it's like to run a school. <laughs> it seemed yeah. like there was quite a bit going on there that wasn't, uh, you know, they, they had a lot on top of the, themselves. But anyway, now that I've apologized for everyone in the story and similarly made fun of them, uh, let's yeah. hear yours. All right, my one is... Um... I, Amsterdam trip, something that happened on an Amsterdam trip. I've been to Amsterdam so many times, and it's not for the weed or, you know, well, when I was younger, a little bit, and the, the red light district, but um, it was mainly for the toy fairs and stuff I used to go for, you know, buy st some old antiques collectibles, bring them home, sell them or keep things for myself, whatever. So I would go there regularly, and I used to go with a friend, an older guy, and um, he used to not fly because he was shit scared of flights and some medical conditions and stuff, whatever. He would only take the boat. Now, the boat left from Newcastle into Eimuden, um in Holland, and then you get like a 40-minute bus drive or whatever into Amsterdam. So it was one of these, this was early doors, um, it was one of these mini-cruise things, right? You literally only got eight or nine hours in Amsterdam Okay, wow. so you leave from Newcastle on a 15-hour fucking boat ride in wow. the North Sea that is just rough as. I mean, you go out on the deck at like 3 in the morning, you know, pissed, and it's like 30, 40-foot waves. It's just crazy. So he gets one of these cheap 
deals through the company. He was such a regular uh, customer with them. They would send him these vouchers and stuff. So long story short, it cost pennies for me to go. And I was like, ah, two nights on the boat. You know, you have a laugh. The casino's on the boat. There's a cinema, etc. And then, you know, you get like eight, nine hours in Amsterdam. I can go buy some toys, whatever. Have a wander, something to eat. Okay, right, I'll go. So I go. We get to Amsterdam. And then you get up in the morning. The ship arrives in the morning. So, you know, all your stuff's left on the boat in your cabin. And you get the bus into town. So we're wandering around Amsterdam, this and that, and we're wandering through the red light district. And, you know, if you've never been to Amsterdam, I mean, I know you have, Alex, um, you're walking through and it's just canals, you know, streets are separated by these huge canals. And uh, we were walking along, walking along, and there's the cars are coming up on the same bits as the pedestrians and people are sort of jostling for position. So I sort of moved to the right to let this car go through and I my balance just starts to go and I'm near the edge and I, I sort of get my balance back. It's one of these falls where you get your balance back a little bit but then it fucking goes again. And my friend was like, oh, Barry, look. And I just braced myself. I knew it. I went right over and into the fucking canal. Right? Passport, mobile phone, no. everything in my pocket. Because, oh, my God. Right? So I'm fucking full and i brace myself and i splash right in and i hit like this under the water i didn't know it but there's these barriers to stop boats like hitting off the canal fucking walls <laughs> so i landed on that so i'm shoulder luckily i didn't go under but i'm shoulder deep it's up to my neck the water and i think that's the bottom so i step off it and it's not the bottom it's one of these barriers so i go to go under i go fuck so i have to start swimming there's about 40, 50 people in the street now looking at me, <laughs> splashing, splashing about in this fucking canal, right? I'm like, fuck, such a shock. So I start swimming over to the edge, and for my surprise, normally I thought it'd be lots of guys and going like, way, like, you fucking idiot, you know, like, you fell in the canal. Everybody's face was just completely disbelief and shock right wow and i was like nobody's fucking like so i go over and i i swim over to this lower down bit of the wall and this guy like sort of helps me climb out and i climb out and i am fucking obviously drenched through boots <laughs> timberland boots i always remember they were like new timberland boots and they were so heavy and like so i was like fuck you know so my friends laughing going fucking hell buddy like that's just so obviously I'm only there on a day cruise, eight hours. All my fucking clothes and shit's back on the boat, like an hour oh, bus journey away. Oh, yeah. It's not even like I go to a hotel. So I'm like, right, what the fuck? So I see the police. So I go and speak to the police. They're like, listen, come back to the station. We'll let you get showered and stuff like that. So I go back to the station. I walk through these bits, walking past cells where you see people in them pacing around, right? Mm -hmm. Go to the shower where they fucking probably shower rapists and stuff <laughs> like that, right? Yeah. So I go into the shower and he's like, right, there you go. I'll put all your stuff in bags. I'll see if I can get you some clothes. I'm like, ah, perfect. He's going to get me like a thing. So I get this shower and I'm like, this is fucking unreal. I can't believe this. It's a nightmare. So... I come out expecting like a little Amsterdam police jumper or fucking trousers <laughs> or something like that. The guy gives me one of these fucking forensic suits. <laughs> right? So 
I put the, I'm like, you fucking, all my belongings are in this clear bag that says Polite or Police, whatever it was, the Dutch for police. I'm standing with my fucking clothes, boots, everything in this sealed bag, like an evidence fucking bag, like a huge thing, in a forensic suit, right? With no shoes or socks. He gives me bags for my feet. I've got bags and elastic bands on my feet, right? I'm like, oh, what the fuck? Right? Are they serious? He's like, that's all we've got. It's the best we can live. So I walk down. I'm like, I can't get back on the bus and stuff and go to the, the ship like this. People are just going to fucking... So I walk right along the fucking main road in Amsterdam, the high street. This is the main centre. People are looking at me genuinely like I've I've escaped from prison. You know, and like, this is my shit in the bag and I've escaped. So, I walk right into like CNA fucking, where's menswear? Just for a laugh. You know, I just at this point, I'm just like, yeah, where's the menswear? And they're looking me up and down like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I go to the menswear department and I spend like the cheapest pair of shoes, the cheapest shitty jeans, the cheapest jumper, anything just to get, you know, stuff on. And I'm like that, right, sorted. You know what I mean? And uh, I'm like, ah, fucking come out. And I'm like, right, sorted. Get back on the boat and everything. And then uh, my mate starts fucking going, you know there's rats and shit in there, eh? In that water. <laughs> that water's terrible. So he starts giving me a panic attack about, like, I've got some <laughs> fucking, you know, some black death. So I'm getting back on the, the bus to the ship and I've got all my belongings. The phone's fucked. The passport's soaked. My money is all soaking, you know? And I get back on and people are looking going, what happened? And nobody's believing, like, I've fallen in a canal. So uh, I get back on the ship and that's it. And, like, for, like, a week later, I had the worst flu ever. So no, I, go to the doc- really? I go to the doctors and tell them. The doctor's like, oh, there's rats in there, rats urine, this, that. We need to give you a big fuck-off tetanus. So <laughs> I got the huge tetanus needle right in the ass. And uh, that was me sorted sort of thing. But, Good yeah, times. that was one of the... That was one of the uh, one of the more eventful Amsterdam trips. I mean, it was such a fucking just totally left field. You know, you're walking down the street and you fall a, fall in a canal. It was just brutal. That, that's pretty brutal. awesome, though. That's a pretty. I mean, when bad crap happens to you, you want to have the story. You know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> if you yeah. can remember the story, there's something to it. And on the plus side, you gave you gave your immune system some practice. A lot of yeah. people forget <laughs> to do that. You know what yeah. I mean? Hey, mate. No. Oh, it was horrid. I mean, I don't, ah, oh, just thinking swimming through that water. <laughs> the, the thing that got me was, is there's like 40, 50 guys, you know, and like women and stuff, all drunk and that around me. Not one of them were like, way, you fucking idiot. Or, you know, they were all looking at me like shaking their heads going, holy shit. You know, you are in that water. What the fuck is in there? Yeah. You know, because these canals are filthy. You I, know? I, I, I know you guys have a bit of a different sense of humor, but like it, we're pretty nasty people in Seattle and like yeah. it, we make a lot of sarcastic. Honestly, I think some of the most unpleasant people in the world I've ever met are from Seattle and every uh, we're known for being like really cold people. I don't think anybody, if they saw that would like give you shit. I'm pretty yeah. sure everybody would be panicking right with you, <laughs> but like yeah. I, it's, it's weird how that is though, because I've been in countries where like, I mean, if that happened to me in Italy and like, uh, uh, Venice, I'm sure everybody would be like, Hey, asshole, well done. You know, but there's other cultures that, you know, they're super not friendly, but they, 
I, I would not argue the average Dutch person is super friendly, but they're panicking right there with you. So this, I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, it's just like people, I think people sort of realize, I mean, this is a few years ago. I mean, I think I was, I wasn't driving it. So I was probably like 19 and I was, I took a real stretch from even 17 to like 20, you know, and I look real baby faced. And so I think people were just looking going, what the fuck's happened here? Is yeah, he right. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, it's just like nuts. Uh, but uh, it was just, like you say, when you look back now, every time I see that guy, George, we have a great laugh about it, you know? Yeah, it's good, and, yeah. Uh, it's one of these things. It's good to have stories like that. But um, there's another one. I'll save it for the next episode. Uh, that's another like Yeah, te- tease thing, it. So. Just say the location. Yeah. Le- where's the location? Scotland? The location's in my hometown of Dundee, Scotland. All right, it's your first and hometown. It involves, it, it involves, I don't know if I can give something away. <laughs> I, was, I was in a lot of trouble for something that you would think kids just do all the time this was like this turned into an incident there you, know? you go no it's it, like so that's the teaser check, so we hope check you enjoy the statute it. of limitations <laughs> I, I genuinely some of these stories i'm like i can't fucking say that i mean i omitted <laughs> i'll let people put, join the dots here like i won't say i omitted something about that story that involves i was in the red light district <laughs> and after being in the shower and going buying new clothes, I went back to the red light district. <laughs> so, and the person who I went back to see, the person who I went back to see at the red light district, saw me fall in the canal, what? and we still we still came to an arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what? it's pretty fucked Are up. Are you for real? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've said it. Right, anyway, uh, but there's nothing, you know. You know, there's nothing concrete there. To be honest, nothing, man. Nothing. Yo, I got. I uh, next next week we'll talk about a very nasty story with the Italian police, with me. Okay. And then we'll yeah. Well, uh, anyhow, this was a good, good time. Yeah, good fun as usual. Um, a couple of you took advantage of it last time. If you want the free fifteen quid, um. 15 pounds as well i'm saying quid a lot because i was saying it today I've, I've sort of been out looking for bits and bobs um and if you want a free 15 pounds for william hill set up your account use one podcast o-n-e-p-o-d-c-a-s-t as your reference code a promotional code and once you set up your account deposit a minimum of 15 pounds play a hand of poker or sit and go or something email me your user id barry at one com, and we'll get the 15 pounds to you um join the facebook group facebook.com slash group slash one outer and alex you want to give your plugs again mate yeah uh write me at assassinatocoaching at gmail.com if you want to talk about something other than delinquency perhaps making you money uh check me out on twitter at the assassinato you can for some reason i'm using my personal facebook for fans and stuff so until we hit that friend limit so facebook.com slash assassinato it's just so easy i gotta keep that address uh and uh what else do i have check out things i've written i keep a daily blog not daily uh i keep a regular blog on pokerheadrush.com and uh check out bluff.com wptmag.com and a lot of my strategy articles come out on there uh check out pocket fives i occasionally write something there but check out pocket fives training we go through every hand of some of these tournaments and we go we go really in depth i get a lot of people telling me you know that's that's what made my 
that's what really opened my eyes as to how to play was, uh, you know, these 20 part analyses of W Coops and, uh, concept videos and all that stuff. Check all that stuff out. And you can still buy, if you missed my webinar and it's probably not coming back, honestly, probably not coming back. If you miss my webinar about why Pisegno is right, why Pisegno is correct with all those weird three bet folds he does from 13 X and all those raised folds he does from eight big blinds, why there's actually a firm basis behind that and why you need to learn it now to succeed in MTTs. Write me at assassinautocoaching at gmail.com. A copy of the recording will be, is available for $99. Check that out. And that's it. That's it. And until episode 13, um, we'll see you then. Get your questions in, questions at oneouter.com, and we could be answering your questions on the show. Well, Alex can. I can sit and listen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cheers. Cheers.